Hello and welcome to Classical Stuff You Should Know, the podcast about the ancient classical world it's where we tell you stuff same, you should know. <laughs> oh, that's good. Ancient classical world, except when we don't want to talk uh, about the ancient classical that's world. That's true. Or yeah. where we spend two and a half hours talking about the Middle Ages. <laughs> yeah, um, the, the classical Middle Ages. But that's classical. So th- that, but I mean, this is a good point. And, um, and this has been brought to our attention a couple of times that we are a podcast that doesn't just talk about the ancient Greece and Rome, which is what lots of people think when they hear classical. So um, anyway, uh, my name is Graham Donaldson, and I am joined here today, as always, with the ombudsman of fun, Thomas Magby. Hello. And with AJ. Not me. <laughs> he he doesn't sn- get a title? I have a Snickers in my He's mouth. eating. I wanted to get him to have to talk before he finished swallowing his Snickers. Poor guy. Um, what is your actual title? Dean of Dean Student Life. Dean, dean of Student, student life. life. Yeah. I like Ombudsman of Fun. Um, dispenser of Mirth is also mm. a good one. Has it, anyone ever called me that before? Right now. You it's just recorded. It okay, it's good. happening. I like that. Um, and uh, we are teachers. We teach at Veritas Academy, which is a classical Christian school in Austin, Texas. And boys, it is summer. Yeah. It is glorious, glorious summer. I have graduations tonight, so this is our last day. We're, we're recording this on our last day. That's right. There is a palpable yeah. excitement in the air. We are Woo. sitting in a room with covered in dust and boxes <laughs> because Veritas Academy is moving yeah. from our home for the past, how many years have we been here? Long time. Long time. Oh, man. Uh, if, l- you, if you count the elementary school before the, we moved over from Bannockburn, it was... I don't know, nine years? But these these portables have been six, because we just got them when yeah. I started here. Anyway, right. we are moving to our own shining new building um, about yep. just a couple miles away, and everyone's super excited. Anyway, um, but today, um, Megby is going to crack eggs of wisdom all over this podcast. What? And what <laughs> Everything you, is an omelet metaphor with him. Yeah, it, that, I've noticed this. Um, what do you got for us there, uh, Megby? So I guess this is following in the, in the tradition of way too late in the length of this podcast asking like really basic questions about what the heck we're talking about. And so the topic for today is classical education. Um, well, that's fun because my next topic is what is a podcast? So, <laughs> so I'm I would kidding. actually love that. Episode. I'm not kidding. And I'm, mine is going to be technical explanations of microphones. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I might sleep a long that lengthy list of parts. It sounds super interesting. Okay. So, um, uh, many episodes ago, I think it might have been the first one when I came on the podcast, was asking, what is classical? Um, do you all remember any of those definitions? We had just hired you. So, I mean, you were literally, you were legitimately asking the question. As, a, as a, <laughs> Guys, what is this classical is, thing about? So, I got this job at the school. I promise I've been what working here for a year. Did you say we hired, hired him? Hired him, yeah. Graham and AJ hired me. I thought you meant on the podcast. No, no, like, no when the school wow. hired him. Didn't realize that. He's been waiting for his paycheck for, <laughs> for, for, for a while. Well, haven't we all? Yeah. So, what is, so, what is classical? Do you remember any of those three definitions? Um old, like ancient yeah. Greece and Rome. Ancient so, Greece and Rome, yeah. Um, Coca-Cola classic, so we got this new thing, but so then, but it's kind of like the old thing, but the old thing now needs to be differentiated from the new thing. Yeah, yeah. So Greek, Roman, or Latin literature and art is one definition. That was the first one you're talking about. Um, an exemplary standard uh, would be a second one, so just a thing that it's an important idea can be called a classic. So when AJ has like... A perfect day. Yeah. And we say that is classic, classic AJ. Day. Yeah. That is classic AJ. It's like when he rock climbs and when he teaches an English class. Mm. And what would be like peak AJ, telos AJ day? Rock climbs, uh, teaches an English class. Uh, don't eat breakfast. Wait, what? <laughs> I never eat breakfast. So don't eat breakfast, come to school, have three cups of coffee. By lunch, I'm shaking. And then 
yeah, teach some, climb some. And then you're doing DJ a party DJing at night, a party maybe? at night. That's yeah, right. DJ a little bit. That's uh, classic AJ right yeah. there. You enjoy the DJ stuff that much? Like well, that would be I mean, part of your just, I think we're, are we going for iconic or like my ideal day? We're talking classic AJ. <laughs> then DJ. Yeah. Yeah, there you go. Rock and roll. And then the. No, no. It's very different than rock and roll. <laughs> and then the last one on there is uh, relating to the first significant period of an area or study. So a classic period. Mm. Um, so um, psychology is a relatively recent field. Early studies of psychology would be regarded as the, the classics of that study. Um, so the first significant period of Classic study. rock. But, yep. <laughs> Known for its significance, I guess? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'll take it. What would be the era of classic rock? Oh, contentious. I got. No, I have no answer to this. Depends on, I mean, we're talking about 80s? I don't know. I, mm. Really? You're going to like... If you're going to say classic rock and roll... Why are you going to do Buddy Holly like that? If you're going to say classic <laughs> rock and roll, I say 50s. If it's classic yeah, yeah. rock, That's... then I think 80s. Okay. So we. So those were the three definitions of classical that we talked about a while ago, but the... A phrase that we've thrown around a few times, but not addressed specifically, is classical education. Now, Shame on us. On a previous episode, I said, we've never done an episode on classical education. And the reply was, well, we talked about the trivium. And I think, this might just be me, and I would love for the two of you to disagree, I think that's comparable to a previous statement on the podcast when someone said, we've never discussed Aristotle. If I had said, well, we talked about book eight of the Nicomachean Ethics. Like, Fair. we talked about Aristotle, but we didn't cover like the wholeness of Aristotle. And same with classical, that we often tie the trivium to it. I don't think it's the wholeness of classical education. Would you all disagree with that? No, I would agree. I, it's, uh, and I, I, when we talked about the trivium, we talked about the Dorothy Sayers like, commencement speech, uh, the Lost Tools of Learning. Yeah. And that was like the speech that launched a thousand schools. Yeah. And a lot of people sort of use that speech as like the shorthand like crib notes for what classical education is. And yeah. I think a lot of us just sort of who are in the classical education world yeah, kind of fall back on that speech and say classical education trivium. Right, but um, that's but it's not it at all. But or it's not that's not the ty- entirety of it. But let's let's follow that for a while. Okay. So we talked about Dorothy Sayers a while ago, a while ago on the uh, trivium redo, <laughs> redux, redux, remix. Yeah. Anyway, so that was the episode on that, and so you can go and listen to that. But the trivium originally is not the stages of development that we use now. Mm-hmm. What was the trivium originally? I think it was, it was Graham, you did this episode. It was three out of the seven classes that you took, essentially. Yeah. Um, you, were, you took seven liberal arts, and three of them were grammar, logic, and rhetoric. Yeah. Ma- uh, gla- let's see how I can do this. Grammar, logic, rhetoric, arithmetic, geometry, music, astronomy. Yeah. So they were act- you were studying grammar. In, like you were studying grammar. You were studying logic. You were studying rhetoric. They mm-hmm. were formal. Uh, I'm, I'm trying to avoid using the word subject because that's not the right word for it, but... I guess arts. You were studying studies. Yeah, you were studying. <clears throat> They're formal studies. Yeah. So they were, each of them were each their own formal study. Well, then Dorothy Sayers looks at them and says, "Well, these this trivium also applies to the development and growth of children. That um, as they grow up, they are following this grammar, logic, rhetoric uh, paradigm. And so, just a weird thing that that causes me to think is that classical education is kind of formed on an old idea, but it's a very new interpretation of a very old idea. Well, she's mirroring, or she's marrying, like, old, she's marrying the trivium with, um, like, for her time, modern child development yes. psychology. That, like, and she's, yep. yeah, she's marrying that together, and, and so, like, if she had given that speech to a bunch of, in Latin, to a bunch of people in the Middle Ages, they would have been like, no, children don't <laughs> develop, they're right. just bad adults. Right. 
um, which is kind of what the the ancient understanding of a child is. Yeah. Um, um, and, yeah. so her, and so hers was like a new proposal of how to understand the development of children, mm-hmm. because j- just like you were saying, psychology is this, is this kind of new field. We're understanding um, the growth and development of children. And so instead of it being a modern um, sociological explanation, it's an attempt at an ancient explanation of how children grow up. But that's that's my fear of the trivium being the only way we would describe classical education, because the trivium is kind of a method, right? Like. I think there is more to classical education than just a different way that we split up the stuff we teach. It's, yeah, the trivium, I'd say, is both a method and a study, right? You can study grammar, but you can also have the grammar of any subject, mm-hmm. right? Learning the basics of geometry, learning the basics of music. Yeah. And so it depends on, I mean, there's a little bit of ambiguity there, de- t- depending on what you're talking about. If I say I'm going to study grammar, I probably mean English mm-hmm. grammar, right? But there's grammar for everything. And so it's, in the classical world, we kind of, or at least classical education world, we vacillate between these two meanings. Yes. Right? Study, the study of actual rhetoric or the rhetorical expressive study of any anything, right? The rhetoric of painting is And maybe that, and, and that's the tension I'm getting at, that um, the way of looking at the development of a child as that being the defining aspect of classical education is in the last hundred years, last 60 years, isn't it? Like, that's Dorothy Sayers. Oh, yeah. And and the way that we educate has changed so much from what it was back then, right? If you were wealthy, you could hire a teacher or send your kid to a teacher, and you specifically chose them. It usually wasn't, like, a school, right? If you sent them to the academy, Mm -hmm. you usually knew what teachers were poking around at the academy. And and you might even try different teachers for different things. It Mm -hmm. was more of, like, a tutoring system, at least for a big chunk of it. Sure. And, I mean... But to follow on with that, it's also not just the wealthy. It's, it was also only for men. Like if we're really looking at what the original yeah, le- wealthy, leisurely so, non-slaves. Yeah. So if men. you were a true classical school, <laughs> no, 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 no. Uh, so, so the only point to make here is that there's more to it than the trivium. Mm-hmm. And so then let's explore what that other what other differences are. So Graham, this was in your intro that Veritas Academy is classical Christian university model trying to focus just on that classical aspect, uh, aspect piece of it right now. So what else is different about teaching English here at a classical school than it would be teaching it elsewhere? What is different about that? So, okay, if we're going with that class- classical piece. education is not a methodology, because it's more than not a method. Not only a methodology, it's more than that. Um, so one way to th- look at it, and this is the way I think about it, so classical education also has, or all education has an implied anthropology. There it is. So all education has, at its beginning, a belief as to what a human person is. Um, And what are the ends of that And what are the ends of that person? So, um, and a a belief as to sort of what is the best for a human person and how a human person receives or learns information. So this isn't a a complete answer, but one way that, um, uh, that English is different here than in another place is the fundamental anthropology of a classical Christian school is that the human person is made in God's image, that yes. the human person is an image bearer of God. And so that means that, and they have a human nature. Um, and then to, to the, the Christian part of that, a human nature that has been um, uh, uh, broken by the fall. Yeah. Um, so that is... The driving method, or the, again, methodology, the, the, the driving focus underneath how a thing is taught. Yep. Um, and then 
I don't, I don't want to go into, I mean, we can go into what, what are other sort of the predominant modern ways of understanding what a human person is yep. and then how to, how to teach to that. Maybe. Um, so I'm, the problem with talking about classical education, I guess we kind of just touched on it, is that it has to be modernized in some ways. So we're not just taking a Greek method from thousands of years ago and copying and pasting here in Austin, Texas. And so there's some, so Dorothy Sayers' method um, is a piece of that modernization. So that's why much of what I'll be reading from today is also very modern, which just seems kind of funny in like looking up, yeah, calling it classical education, but the resources on it, um, I feel are pretty modern. Yeah, if we transported some of those ancient tutors from Plato's school in Athens and said, all right, you're teaching history today. Right. They'd be, <laughs> what are you talking what about? Are you talking about? Yeah. Because like the subjects didn't exist yeah. in the same way. So what a thing I'll be reading from as we're going through this is from the Circe Institute. They have some resources on, on understanding what is classical. And so Graham, you've got the first one that classical educators have a high view of humanity. Mm-hmm. So um, a, do we know why they call themselves the Circe Institute? I've never understood this. Mm, I can it, look it up. Annabelle, do you know? Next answer. Circe was the goddess of sorcery where... I mean, if they're referring to the Circe, yeah, that's why Circe is an acronym for Center for Independent Research on Classical Education. Oh, it's an acronym. Oh, and then so they just were like, also, it's for the Odyssey. This is funny. A secondary acronym is Consulting and and Integrated Resources for Classical Educators. They have two acronyms for the same. Wow. And I, I can't help but think that Andrew Kern had some sort of influence on the whole naming process. Yeah. And if that's true, then he's a big lover of the Iliad and the Odyssey. Yeah. Anyway, so it stands for something. I didn't know that. Um, so they have some resources. So again, that first one, uh, classical well, educators have Veritas a is an acronym for <laughs> very verily uh-huh. are wait verily righteous. Our where's the e? There's an there's an e there. Oh, veritas. <laughs> Not veritas. Veritas. <laughs> verily. Either. I can't. I got nothing. Sorry. Anyway, so it class, was funnier so in my head. Having a high view of humanity that um, a piece of what is happening in education is not just skill transfer, but it's the growing and developing into a full human. Paideia. Pi- yes, paideia. But when you say paideia, what do you, how is paideia different from when I use the English word education? What's different between those two? There is a, a sense of, um, well, if you wanted to take an extreme view of it, um, one is conditioning and one is mm. like raise like one is, is, yeah. is like child rearing. Yes. Like the, like the, that's sort of the difference is that, uh, and C.S. Lewis talks about this a little bit in the abolition of man where he says when a Roman father teaches his son that, um, dolce e decorum, that it is right and good. It is sweet and good to die for your country. He is doing that out of a place where he truly believes it and he is transmuting manhood from himself to his child yes. versus um, uh, a propagandist or somebody who says, it would be really good if we could create citizens who wanted to die for our country. Therefore, we're going to create a lesson um, conditioning them to think that dying for their country is a great idea. Yeah. Um, uh, maybe you have the same ends, um, but one is done... I mean, one, I don't know. One acknowledges the human. One acknowledges the human and one sort of is treating the human like a machine. Yeah, I was going to say you're pointing out, well, I actually wrote down some of the ways that I think classical education is different from typical modern education. And one of those is that it it attempts to stray away from industrialization, right? Rather than imparting skills to kids, uh, rather than like 
saying, we need you to be able to do X, Y, and Z by the time you leave school. Mm -hmm. What we were trying to do is develop the whole person and give them the means to live freely. And so if that means good writing, understanding math, understanding Mm -hmm. science and the way things happen around them, then that's what we're trying to do, but not in such a way that we can say, okay, we've cranked out 400 kids. They can all write a decent thing, right? We're trying to make them free, Mm -hmm. not necessarily give them a skill. And this has been pointed out by other people in the classical education world, so I did not invent this, but... The, the school, the modern school is set up in the way that a factory is set up. Mm. So there is no reason, so there's, there's no real reason why students are in one room and then a bell rings and then they go down the assembly line to another room and then they get their history widget and then a bell rings and they go down the assembly line to their math room and they get their math widget. And then we've got a brand new minted 2018 rolling off the production line set of students. Like that, that was... That came about in the 19th century because factories were super efficient and schools were like, well, we can be efficient too. But when you think about, like, I think about this a lot. There is very big differences between, let's say, in my 10th grade class, 15-year-old girls and 15-year-old boys. Like, just uh, in terms of development and maturity. Uh, There are these vast differences. And it's kind of this arbitrary thing that we have them go through class by ages, uh, as opposed to by aptitude, you know, where you, um, um, anyway, uh, that, but that, so then that is a way that, and so we, I mean, at Veritas, we have grades and they're by age and we have classes and we don't have a bell, but we have, you know, at the same time, everybody knows, oh, our class has to be done no matter what we're doing at this time, because it's time to move on to the next one. Uh, and then they go off. So, I mean, that's still a modern way that Veritas operates. But it's not necessarily fair to say we should therefore chuck the whole thing because I think I think it was much easier to have a single teacher when there wasn't when there wasn't so much to, 600 to students teach. yeah yeah when there was no not not the oh. students but the material like yeah. we have now 2000 years extra history that they didn't have <laughs> whereas in ancient Greece they didn't have any of that They're history like, kicking I can, around I can tell you like what happened 100 years ago <laughs> and tell you some myths and that was it right but the yeah. myth was also their English class and they're just like honestly there wasn't as much to learn we are victims of the the vast depth of our knowledge and therefore specialization right you are learning history and that has been a pet project of yours right Yes. I, I would love to be able to teach English and history myself. And then on top of that, maybe geometry. I, I always love geometry. And dancing and archery and <laughs> horseback and riding and astronomy and, and everything wrestling. That does it all. Exactly. But that's the thing is we, like, I am educated primarily in English. I did not take a whole lot of science classes in my four year. And so I would, like, parents usually would rather have, have those go to one of our other teachers who spent his whole career in there. And so mm-hmm. now it makes sense, right, where we have such drastic specialization that we just can't dip our toes in everywhere. We actually kind of have to give a depth of knowledge that would require far more training than I think is feasible for individual teachers. Mm-hmm. And that's, it's, it's very easy. So I have, I have this temptation where I just want to be like, what well, public school is the worst, but it's not. I went to public school. It's great. And there are pieces of it where I agree that it's an industrialized model, but like there is an efficiency in the system. Mm-hmm. And that's not necessarily a bad thing, is it? Is there some information that can be conveyed efficiently and that's okay? Oh, yeah, totally. And that's, I don't know. And, and there are other accomplishments of the wide availability of education, right? We are more literate now than we ever have been in like any time ever in history. More people know how to read and write. More people know how to speak more than one language, right? Those things are available to the masses when they were, like we said, only available to the wealthy males of the world, right? So there's something to be said for this 
we have to blend the this two. method, right? right? Yeah, so there yeah. needs to be some sort of blending. But yeah, I don't know. Um, we're not talking about the university model piece now, but a thing that I love about the high school schedule is that it it looks similar to a college schedule in that you'll have you know an hour and a half class two times a week. But you you don't ha- a high school student will not have class back to back seven to four or whatever times. Is normal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for confused listeners, what, what Thomas is talking about is, so another part of our model at this school is called a university model, and we won't go too far into it, but suffice to say, it's kind of like a half homeschool, half classroom model. Um, our students are not on campus um, uh, every day. Um, they're getting hauled at by their moms. And they're at home, <laughs> and so there is a component of education that is happening at home with a home teacher, and that's usually their mother or father at home. Um, and then they come to class and they have their class when they get to high school, um, the home teacher is no longer teaching them at home. They are teaching themselves at home, and they are on campus five days a week, but they are not having classes every hour of every day. There, there, there are these gaps. Yeah. Um, Which then gives opportunity for what you were just talking about. Like if there are these things they love, there's time to pursue it. There's time mm-hmm. for that in the schedule. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. So that yeah. Anyway, so that's that's another component of how our school is set up. My, my question is, why aren't we playing quiz show with the different elements of classical education. Like you said, there were some in this uh, Circe. you want to do this? Uh, I so feel he's, like... He's one point ahead right now. Have you been keeping track? Yeah. What did I... He's only named one. <laughs> what was my point? That uh, the high view of humanity. I gave oh, nice. That one. Oh, okay, shoot. And AJ, you have a long list. So I listed them. Hey, can, so I, if, can I ask one question, though? Yeah. So in your last answer, you talked about like the a part of the education is making them free. Did you want to say more about that? Like, what do you mean by that? Are you, is this a guiding? No, it's not, I don't think it's one. Uh, no, it but. It is a liberal education but aiming what does that mean? to make men liberal, like free from what? Free from, oh man. I don't know. Free from the, I guess the, the confines that ignorance places upon a man yeah. and giving them the skills to approach any endeavor that seems worthy to them. Yeah, that's good. So do you want me to guide you? Because you're like really close to one of them. Is it close enough to give me the point? Yeah, sure. So, Oh, Enneagram. <laughs> so you're tied. I don't know what that means. Um, so another piece um, from what we were talking about of having that high view of humanity, another important thing is the cultivation of wisdom and virtue, which I feel like is a phrase mm. that we say a lot. Um, and I was hoping we could talk more about that, maybe some thoughts on what wisdom and virtue are. When, when I think about how education frees us, just to go back to yeah. AJ's thing for a second, one of the great examples that I can think of is vocabulary. Sure. And so vocabulary sounds like it's kind of this lame, boring thing. But if you've ever had that experience where you are sitting and you have a feeling or you have a thing that you want to convey, something that you have experienced or feel or, and you want to convey it and you just don't know the word for it, that is a kind of being bound. That is a kind of trapped. Oh, what's that word? I just don't know what that word. What I'm trying to say is, uh, mm, uh, uh. And if you have a limited vocabulary and then the only way that you can describe things is in like a binary, it's cool, I love it, I hate it, I love it, I hate it. And if that's the only thing you have, eventually that's, that is a, a, you are less free than somebody who can express the precise meaning or the precise feeling of something. So that's an example of one way of, yeah, of how or, education Or even just you. having one set of skills or one skill, right? Mm-hmm. You can feel trapped in a job and that's all you can do and your only other option is to leave that job and find another one of the exact same type, mm-hmm. right? A, a full liberal education gives you the ability to put your hand to any skill that seems necessary or at least have the means to learn those skills. Mm-hmm. Also, and also the freedom from... Um, we talk about advertising a lot, but the freedom from tyranny, like the freedom to understand when you're being persuaded to mm-hmm. and not give in to those, um, to be able yep. to rise above that. Or being cheated, right? Yeah. I mean, in a, in a pre-advertisement age, like you had to know when people were selling you 
just a load of snake oil, you know? And I'm not sure. This this might eventually get more to the Christian angle. Unless you're buying snake oil. Yeah. Which, in which case, in which case I mean, yeah, have some, enjoy it. Depends it. on the snake, I'd say. And the pro- just I, adds a little bit to the dish. Just a little, <laughs> so like, a little snake oil. A little to, snake oil. Just a, little just bit of, the, a little little bite. A little bite. <laughs> just a little sting. <laughs> so sad right now. Just, uh, but then that ultimate freedom is over the sinful tendencies in oneself. Like that I don't have to give in to the the evil desires that are within me, I can rise above those things. I mean, that, I don't know. I'd say that's probably the moral component you were Mm -hmm. digging for is that kind of thing. But I'd also say that that sounds like a way to sell education to Christian parents because classical education wasn't, like it it definitely addressed philosophy, but I I would not necessarily say that it was always a fully moral education, right? We also have the sophists whose... They, their primary goal was to teach you how to basically cheat at arguing. And that is not a moral education, but it was an education that people paid for. Yeah. So we can't just say that all the ancients taught these wonderful moral, moral things. I mean, yeah. every ancient taught something different. Epicurus yeah. taught that the end of man was pleasure, and the way to get to pleasure was by being virtuous. So yeah. his goal wasn't even virtue. His virtue was like individual happiness, and people mistook him for uh, a hedonist, yeah. but he wasn't. He was something else. So... Yeah. I think that, yeah, it might, that might be too easy to say that there it's a moral education or a virtuous education when it didn't always teach virtue. It's, in, in most of the modern versions of classical education are tied with Christian. It's yeah. it's very rare to see classical, not Christian. Um, that is, yeah, that's true. I mean, there are still, a lot of the, uh, the sort of the British system still has like old classical yes. hangovers. That's we're not necessarily Christian on them. That's we've got one coming into Veritas that's not... Coming into coming Austin. In Austin, yeah. yeah. Sorry, not Veritas. That would be strange. <laughs> yeah. um, or even, so, um, that's true. In, there's a classical charter school opening up. In, in Norms and Nobility, um, what's the guy's name? David Hicks. David Hicks, like his opening story is about how the English system has this classical education, but it has tended toward the same aristocracy that um, AJ was just talking about, that it's only certain kinds of people who get to have that education. Um, and that hasn't been the case since Dorothy Sayers' essay, since mm-hmm. kind of modern modern classical education, whatever that means. Okay. Um, Neoclassical. That's, that's a good <laughs> word. I like that. Um, she calls them the neoliberal, no, neoliberal arts was another one. She says neo-medieval studies. Anyway, Dorothy Sayers has another one in there. Um, AJ, what else do you have? There's There are two or three oh, more things that we're looking for. Can I for. not play the game anymore? Uh, sure, do you want to? You don't have a list, Graham. <laughs> Seriously, you, weren't, you didn't come prepared, unlike some people. Memory. He came up with this list Memory as he was palace. sitting here. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Um, hmm. oh, <laughs> I if he can't think of one, I have more. <laughs> Go for it. <laughs> Great. Awesome. So I, I also wrote down things that make uh, classical education different is the material chosen. Yeah. So we we tend towards material that has stood the test of time and is widely regarded as classical, rather than jumping at new material that is lauded in only our modern age. And one of the reasons we do that is for all the reasons C.S. Lewis says that we should read old books, right? To keep to keep ourselves from falling into the same pitfalls that happen when one society tends too far one direction, sure. right? So every age has its own problems. The best way to inocul- inoculate yourself against those problems is to read old books from societies that had their own problems, but problems that were different, different. than yours. So material, um, our methodology is a little bit different. We tend towards uh, the Socratic method more than just teaching. And I, I, that's, I don't think that's totally fair to Public education. I know I did, I did Socratic education in public. Yeah, exactly. I don't but think that's different. exclusive to us. But when you do a Socratic dialogue, like, um, is it just so everyone can say their opinions? Like, what is there a difference in how a class, is there a different classical approach to 
a Harkness to a group discussion. Yeah, is there a difference in group discussion for classical versus the, I mean, modern? The Socratic dialogue should be where the teacher is asking questions that the students have to answer to get the students to understood to, to discover the truth for themselves. So there's that Socratic irony where you where the teacher kind of pretends like he doesn't know the answer mm -hmm. and sort of leads the student into understanding what that is. So I find so that's that, different than just like everyone share their opinion time, which right. is what happened in my public school. Right. I find that sometimes sometimes a good way to lead a class, mm -hmm. but then another good way is if you don't necessarily have a specific place you want them to end up mm -hmm. and say, I want you to sort of poke around in this passage and find everything you can, they'll often get farther than I thought they were capable right. of, right? They'll pick the thing that I wanted them to get in the first 10 minutes right. and then go. <laughs> that allows them to go as far as they can possibly go. And I think that is that is the advantage of the Socratic method is the students will go as far as their ability can take them rather than as far as I think they can go that day, sure. which is the great difference. But there is something to be said for having, like, there are days when I'm mm -hmm. like, I want them to arrive at this certain place and I will drop crumbs on the ground until they get there. Sure. Can I say on the old book one, um, is there a place where many of those old books come from? Are they just any old book? Yeah. Is this a, I feel like you're I'm guiding writing, me again. Yeah, I am. This is just to get, this is a specific wording that, that is used on, for Cersei. Cersei uh, clarifies it to say that it's the Western tradition primarily that is being drawn from for those old books. Yeah, the Western canon. Well, Western canon. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. Do you, yeah. Sure. Okay. Well, that, that's a more specific group. Like, you could read the Egyptian Book of the Dead. Like, I mean, I don't know. There's more stuff you could read that's outside of the Western tradition. I read the Tibetan Book of the Dead. Yeah. Was it good? Yeah, all right. Okay. And this, is that why you're not teaching it in your <laughs> ninth grade class? Uh, it might not be it's, useful. It sounds really cool. It's... I mean, if you're Tibetan, I don't, I don't mean to insult you, it's, but it's not what you're expecting. Oh. You're expecting, like, spells to raise the dead and what, like, that's not exactly but that. But, I mean, so you could read the Bhagavad Gita, which is a, a famous mm -hmm. um, Indian epic. So, I don't know. I mean, there's, there, there's old stuff um, that falls outside of the Western canon. I don't know. And I think we tend towards the Western canon just because we are a Western culture sure. and it designs, like, it's, it talks about where we... Came from, came from. Mm, right. and like we could we could involve the Eastern canon, but that would be a whole second thing of study. Um, this is why it fascinates me that there is a Christian classical school in mainland China that just mm. started maybe about two years ago, and I just want to hear the stories about how that school goes about talking about Western civilization, but. But I would China. love it if they talked about Eastern. I mean, yeah. it, it would make sense in China to pick instead of the Western canon the Eastern canon, and then walk through that, those things. Would that still be classical? In the Eastern sense, yes. Okay, I think. Um, if it's still a Christian school, then they're coming. Then they have that there different anthropology. Piece. Sure. And then you still have. So if you're a Christian school, I mean, you have to talk about Jerusalem. I mean, you like sure. you ha and and in some sense, then you sort of have to talk about Europe mm -hmm. because that was the, the cradle of Christendom for you know a thousand years. But there is a piece of classical um, education. Um, AJ, I can never pronounce this correctly. What the series of speaking exercise that begins with a P? Progymnismata. The purpose of the progymnismata. Nailed it. I think I'm pronouncing it right. Uh, I never so, actually took a class. Hey, on email us at classical stuff and tell us we got it wrong. Um, but the purpose of those exercises was not just to do some exercises and be good at speaking, but it was to enter the life of politics, wasn't it? Like there was a. It was you were. It was to prepare you to be a citizen at the end of those exercises, not just to. Yeah, one of the last things you did was very much like our thesis, yeah. right? You pick a law and you take a side. Yeah. So like, there's a piece of it where like the if if you're in China, you should be focused on things that prepare you well for China, mm -hmm. and so many of those might be the same as they are in Veritas, but Austin is different than 
Shanghai, and mm-hmm. they should be different, right? Is that is that a, mem- a, a criteria of classical education? Is that it is preparing people to be citizens? Mm, no, not right here. There's a second page that we probably won't get to about like implications of classical. But I think that's, that's an element of. I think I think that is yeah. like when yes, Ferdinand's mod is the best example of that. But um, what people are being prepared for is civic life, um, and that's why I'd say I'm kind of comfortable with a. Uh, a little bit Eurocentric method of teaching, just because you can get the full story of the of Western civilization, and it's a big story, right? right. It'd, be, it'd be hard to teach both Western and Eastern civ fully, um, but in an Eastern land like in China, I think Eastern civ makes sense to teach. Yeah, yeah. All right, um, other aspects, other pieces of classical. So I did material, I did methodology. Yeah, too. So I did industrialize. Right now. Graham's at one. So I'm thinking. Graham, you wanna? My last two, I don't think they're going to be on your list, okay. but uh, we we come at modern notions with a, a healthy skepticism. Oh, that's good. I that's, like that. That's one that, like, every every modern trend in education, we don't just automatically, like, iPads, yes, put them <laughs> in. Put them in every single kid's hand. Like we Fidget spinners makes your brain work better. Yeah, so we we come with skepticism to those things. And again, I like, public schools do as well. It just depends on the school. And then the last was that it's uh, we try as best we can to integrate the subjects. So Ooh, I like that. I bring in history if I can to English. We we line up the curriculum, so we're doing English and history. So while I'm talking about the Greeks, they are studying the Greeks. While I'm doing Julius Caesar, they are reading about the Romans. Right? We try to line those up as much as we can yeah. because when the subject started, like the great painting masters, the first thing they learned was geometry. Right. Right. That um, integrated curriculum is talked about. It's not one of their big four things, but um, common features of classical education and integrated curriculum is usually a part of that. Graham, any, any more before I kind of spoil what's on this list? So it's teaching virtue, um, the selection of material. Yep. Those are the two we have so far? Yep. I split one of them into two. So the, your, your comment on, like, the people we're teaching are humans. They're not just receiving ideas, but then also the education of wisdom and virtue. Latin. There you go. Um, is that one of them? No. Language-focused? Is that uh, Yes. That's a part of a bigger point. So uh, classical education, I'll actually give this to you. Yeah, yeah, at, yeah. I'll give this to you, but at the end, because it'll spoil the other one. Um, so there's one more. I Yeah, I never would have guessed this one. So I'll just read it. Um, classical educators are logocentric. In a word, that means they believe that the world makes sense and that the sense it makes is knowable. They base their approach to education on discovering that sense, huh. that everything is knowable. Isn't that interesting? Yeah, I'd say that's true. And, and like when you when you come to the books that you all teach, like there are things that these students are going to get out of it. It's not a useless exercise that is only for passing a test. There's like there's something in that book that they're going to receive if they like earnestly seek after it in that book. Um, and like. I don't know. I would never like guess that as an element of classical education, but like it's a deeply hopeful thing of like the stuff we're doing is worthwhile. That the world makes sense. Yes. And that we as creatures have the capacity to make sense of it. Yes. Yes. That, and that's an important piece of it also, that, that we can make sense of it. There's this. Uh, have you guys ended up reading the the brother, the Father Brown Mysteries yet by Not Chesterton? Yet. Not yet. Oh, man. Listeners, it they're so good. You I think can, it's on our bingo card for the summer to read yeah, some of those. Yeah, there are these little tiny... You know, you can read one in 10 or 15 minutes, little vignette oh, they're stories. They're, they're these oh, little tiny mysteries. That. There's a okay. bunch of them. You okay. can, like, sit down and do one in an evening and then set it down for three months and then pick it up and not be lost. Yeah. Because it's just the same character in a bunch of different places. So there's a, he's this little traveling priest. His name is Father Brown. He looks really stupid. He's kind of clumsy. I'm not kidding. He's Poor got guy. a big round head. No one thinks he's very smart. And then he just turns out to be this incredible 
incredible detective. And in one of the first stories, he's dealing with the famous French criminal, Flambeau, who sounds like a method of making food. Right. Yeah. But Flambeau is pretending to be another priest on the trip with him. They like meet on the rail car because Father Brown is carrying this uh, cross for the church that has sapphires all over it, right? It's this incredibly expensive cross. And you find, and he starts doing strange things, and uh, the the French detectives kind of pick up his trail, and then eventually find them. And the two priests are sitting on the bench, and they're talking about theology and logic and reason. And and Flambeau attacks reason, and mm. and he's like, and now I'm going to take that cross off of you, or I'm going to kill you. And he's like, no, you're not. And he's like, <laughs> yes, I am. And he goes, no, I first because I don't have the cross. The box you're looking at is full of rocks and sticks. I gave, I left left the cross in a store, like yards and yards back and I sent it back to the church in the mail so it is gone already and he's like how did you know and he says well when we were talking before you attacked reason that's just bad theology (laughs) the church gives the foundation for reason to really run free because you can say our minds are not the end of happenstance right right? they didn't just come about randomly they were created to do a certain thing and they do that thing well and so the church creation gives a good foundation where for reason whereas Evolution may not, right? Mm-hmm. Saying that my brain came about by a whole bunch of random mutations and accidents yeah. and that at some point in the past, I was not reasoning clearly yeah. kind of puts you on shaky footing. It's like sawing, sawing up the branch that you're sitting on. Yeah. And that's not totally fair because we, in our experience, experience reason to work consistently. But, but you've, you've, you've used it does the, put you on shaky ground. Yeah, you've, you use the analogy of... Um, um, that analysis can be helpful, that we should ask questions, but like there's a, there should be a foundation that we're getting down to. And then once you start chipping away the foundation, like why are you asking questions? Yeah. Like it's no, long, it's no longer beneficial at that point. Right. You're left with nothing if you ask enough questions. Okay, so the, these are the elements that um, Cersei has for it and I think are helpful to think about. Uh, classical educators have a high view of humanity. Uh, classical educators are logocentric. They believe that... Um, uh, the world makes sense and that the sense makes it knowable. So the world is knowable. Third, classical educators take responsibility for the Western tradition. So that was the Western canon comment that uh, it, Hannenberg was talking about. And then um, kind of the implications of what we teach. This is what Graham was getting at. Classical educators teach in light of the three foregoing elements, which are the things I just said, leading to an emphasis on language, mathematics, and modes of teaching, governance, and assessment that support the rich goals of a classical education. So emphasis on language and mathematics. And by that, they mean the trivium and the quadrivium. Um, So teaching those seven liberal arts, seven liberating arts. Uh, Other common features of classical education include the use of classical book. Do either of you know how astronomy was done in the Middle Ages? Because, I mean, it was a, uh, astronomy was a, a, astronomy was a, uh, Sorry, we're just getting... We're, re- we're recording in the middle of the day because we didn't have school a school day. And, and so people are barging into the room. Um, where was I? Astronomy. So, yeah. So, I mean, I assume that astronomy, the way that we talk about it now, is not the same way as astronomy was taught in the Middle Ages. Is it, was sure. it more cosmology? I don't know. That's something that I personally want to learn more about is when astronomy is considered a liberal art, what are they talking about? Because when I hear astronomy is a liberal art, I just think of looking at telescopes and like talking about burning balls of gas and that just doesn't sound very liberating i need to find because i was looking this up and it was like the quad oh i don't know i know sherlock agrees with you what sherlock holmes doesn't learn about space it doesn't help him solve crimes on earth no that's good but he's very practical in that way i guess 
I wish I could find... Early anyway, s- that's what the show... Oh, here it is. Um, so quadrivium is the teaching of number, which is arithmetic, number in space, which is geometry, number in time, which is music, number in space and time is astronomy. The music of the spheres? Yes. Yeah. So I don't know what that means in terms of how it was taught <laughs> itself, but it's just I think that's an interesting way of thinking about it, that like each, even in the quadrivium, they are building on top of each other. Yeah, okay. So I don't have better answers than that. Okay. So, so space was... Like the final frontier of <laughs> the quadrivium? <gasps> no, isn't theology? Theology is Queen oh, of the Sciences. Oh, Queen of the Sciences. That's right. Um, well, okay. isn't there's that, what is it, like Star Trek Seven, where they like look for God or something? I don't know. He made that up. No, there's one where Spock's brother comes and he's like emotional. I, I don't Google it, friends. Sorry. I'm not crazy. You crazy. Was it a recent one? No, no. It was like back in the 80s. Is the one where they ride that big pink wave? Uh, maybe. Or is that just an episode of you, Next Generation? I think you all make half this stuff up. <laughs> Okay, so that's about ha- a little more than half of our time on... The Undiscovered what? Country. Pretty sure that's the name of it. And Spock's brother's looking for God, and they find him. Mm-hmm. I feel like we should move on. All right, yeah, sure, <laughs> so th- that, that is what... Th- that is a, an attempt at the definition of classical education. So as I think anyone listening can tell, there's not just this one very clear definition of it. Um, but, yeah. Like... There are many pieces to it, and so it's hard to like put into words all the aspects that go into classical education. So then I think – oh, sorry. I was about to say go to any classical Christian school in the U.S., and you will find schools that are all dealing with this balance between classical and modern education all in their own way. Like there's no – like yes, there, there's always going to be looking to the trivium. There's always going to be the study of old books. But some schools will say, we don't have subjects. We're all going to do this together. Some schools will say, we will not go past, you know, uh, uh, the 19th century in our literature. Some schools yeah. will say, everybody takes Latin, no every, no questions asked. While other schools have, no, as long as you're taking some sort of language, it doesn't have to be Latin. So, I don't know, there's all, the, it's, it is kind of the, the Wild West of of like admit of organization um, that all of these schools are rediscovering, or are looking at the the education landscape, saying we are losing something or we are missing something by just teaching skills and just teaching pragmatism and just teaching for accreditation for college. Yeah. Humanity is lost at some point. Western civilization is being ignored at, uh, at an under level, and then all these schools are going about their own ways of doing it, and it's kind of a fascinating, a fascinating thing. I don't know if. I, yeah, I don't think it. I don't think it needs standardization. I think the fact that it's it's um, that's interesting. Like because it is not easy to define. Like with the benefit of it. Mm-hmm. And like there's that. and there's probably something that we do that is very Texan in yeah. the way that we go about the way our school runs, which is maybe a school in Virginia or a school in well, California doesn't horse class. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, the required horse class that we yeah. have. For, yeah, how did you know? Um, our marksmanship the, course. Yeah, our no, six guns that, course. Yeah. <laughs> Dueling. Yeah. I don't think everybody else has those. <laughs> we should do an episode on our, our required classes. Um, so that was kind of our attempt at defining classical education. So then um, for a little bit longer, I was hoping we could talk about um, an article by David Hicks um, in the Searcy Institute's magazine where they – the question he asks is, is classical education still possible? Mm-hmm. Um have you all read this article? Long time ago. Nope. Good. So that makes this much more interesting. So I guess I'll just read the intro because it's short. Uh, Do it. Okay. I'm now old enough to look back on over half a century in the world of education as either a student or a teacher. It's hard to make this backward glance without cynicism or to look ahead without despair. All this time, the trend lines by almost any standard measure bent 
uh, ever lower and lower, while the language of reform never failed to beat upon the ear. The wor- this world of education and all the reformers in it seem to divide themselves roughly into two groups, those who believe that in technology, brain research, megadata, or some research-based breakthrough, we will discover new tools and approaches that will revolutionize the way we learn and teach, and those who believe that recovering the lost tools of learning will spark another renaissance and turn those trend lines around. He then has a little bit more to say about how kind of that second option encompasses a lot of groups, um, but among them he includes classical education um, and some homeschooling communities. Um, and then he, he's, his answer is that classical education is not possible, is not possible in the current environment. And he has four reasons for that. What so are I wanted they? To, what's that? What are they? Let's go through them. So um, reason number one um, is that the, when the classical education, when the classical method was being used in ancient Greece, there was a conception that man had two parts to him, that man was both the present um, material, like this present material reality, but also there was an eternal part to him. And so, yes, the skills and yes, the now mattered, but what was far more important was the eternal because it lasted longer. And so that's where the importance of virtue comes from, that it's not just the thing I'm doing right now, but it's who I'm going to be for a very, very long time in the future. So by losing that sense of a human being two things, um, classical education is not possible. Because we just think that human beings are just matter? Just the, just the matter, just the material. But that's where cl- Christian classical education is different because, like, I, like we were talking about earlier, it has this different anthropology that man is made in God's image and yeah. is the eternal. So I guess it can't be done... I guess it can't be done in a culture that thinks man is just like a big walking bag of electric meat. Um, <laughs> but it can in a community that, has, like you said, has this high view of man. Sure. I, I definitely agree with that. AJ, any... So that's why I, yeah, when there are classical schools that don't have a religious component or don't have a, a strong statement of, like, what a human person is, when push comes to shove, that's going to, those are going to be interesting dynamics on the inside of, like, how they make administrative choices. Yeah. I don't know. Someone's joked um, that... Christian schools, they have statements of faith that par- parents need to sign or that ever, all the stakeholders need to sign. Um, but that classical Christian classical schools should also have statements of, edu- of like classical education, statements of belief that also need to be assigned and right. adhered to or else we're all coming at it from a different idea as to what is the goal or what is the person. I don't know. Um, I think there's something to be said for that. I mean, that's kind of what he's getting at with this first problem is that you need people who agree in these two parts of a person. Mm-hmm. But like... Now, the student doesn't have to agree because the kid doesn't know what he is. No, no I'm serious. Like, as, as you're aging and growing up, like, yep. um, so the student doesn't have to be on board with all this. Yeah. Because uh, the, the reasoning is, is that if a human person actually is a creature made in God's image, then what we do should work. Yes. I agree with that. Regardless of whether the student conceptually agrees with it or not. Yeah. Like it doesn't matter if a, if a rose bush thinks it's not a rose bush, but if it's if you're doing all the rose bush things and it's and it's starting to blossom roses, then it'll grow. Yeah. Either, whether whatever it believes about yeah. itself, um, that may be true up to a certain point for an, for a child. Like when they become an adult, you still don't want them thinking that they're just electric meat, because that will eventually play out on how they think about morality or how they think about other people. Yeah, and and so it's possible to get parents who are on board with it. And we have, I mean, that's what Veritas is. It's like a community of people who are on board with 
both I'm a human right now, but I'm also going to exist for a very long time in the future. Um, and so they're on board with that. But, but there is a complication of everything that's communicated to the student being your actions kind of don't matter or you can be immoral and that's, that's fine and you'll still get um, praise for it. I don't know. There are things that we can teach at school that are contradicted by what they're hearing outside of school. And then at least that makes classical education more difficult. Mm-hmm. You might disagree. No, I, I agree. So the way, the way I'm thinking about this is I don't know that public education believes only that we are electric meat, or at least, mm. at least not everyone involved in public education True. does because there are, you know, everyone has different religions and you have True. to deal with all of those things. And so it's not necessarily everyone in the system, but the system to be a public system and to deal with all of that has to do one of two things. Either go to the lowest common denominator mm-hmm. and disregard every single piece of that, which is, I think, why we lose art and and drama and that sort of curriculum is because we are going to the base skills that are needed to make a person functioning in society. Yeah. Not necessarily a good citizen, but a citizen, sure. right? Some, some sort of piece that can fit into the puzzle. Uh, that, or you have to insist that those elements are, like, highly regulated mm-hmm. and and everyone kind of has to agree to some extent on the, the matter, the, the way in which those things will come into schools, um, which is why we have laws against proselytization by teachers and why you see prayer disappearing from schools and why there's this separation of church and state thing and why there's a lot of controversy around that. But even so, we are still getting some sort of dogma about who we are as human beings, right? right. We can define our own reality, which assumes that there is no re- no external reality and that morals are only a thing made up in the mind of man. Um, so I, I see it going one of two ways. Either there's an underlying, you know, an underlying kind of ethos that is insisted upon and everyone kind of signs up for, but then quibbles over, or you just delete, delete it altogether. What was the last bit you, were, you guys were just talking about before I sort of said that? Um, shoot, you were talking about, I had a two-part thing I was going to say. I forget where you were right before I jumped Material in. Material and eternal parts of a person. Um, oh, that the student is taught one thing here, but they hear a message outside of the school oh, yeah. that contradicts uh, so, it. So two things there. Um, the Remember that medieval man did believe that we were soul, but that the soul was reached by kind of a smoke given off by the blood. So he also believed that there was a scientific component to the soul, mm-hmm. right? Just like... Um, just like I, there are Christians who probably believe that the eternal soul is perhaps a function of the brain, right? And the brain is electricity in meat, but there is still something going on there. Just like with a computer, if you point out that it has components, doesn't mean it can't run programs into a job and be something more than just a pile of electric plastic, mm-hmm. right? So there's that. And then the, the external pressures of society, I, I, sorry, I'm kind of going on a rant Go for here, it. That's fine. but I feel, I definitely feel that pressure in class, right? right. I, when it comes to talking about relativism, when it comes to talking about even even spirituality and God and talking to kids who grew up in Christian homes, right? I, I actually chatted with a couple of my students and they said, what I hear from you is one thing, but what I hear from everybody else is that your thing is ridiculous. Yep. Um, and my response was maybe a little heavy handed, but it was that, and and, and they, they decided to kind of land in the middle. He's like, why don't I just kind of you know, split the difference and say, I can't know and be agnostic. And, and I, I said, well, if you take that tack in every societal trend, right, the Nazis mm-hmm. said that the, the Jews were vermin and were 
good to be exterminated. And perhaps your pastor was saying that's a horrible way to look at humans and human beings. And if you split the difference, then where you end is racism, right? right? You say that the Jews are subhuman, but maybe not vermin, right? So that is where you can end if you capitulate to societal trends, right? This is why the reading of old books, classical education is so important is because every society has its own tendencies and problems, right? We think because we are progressive, we don't make the mistakes of the past or we have no holes or flaws. But I think (laughs) the way we have been treating each other for the past several years bears out that that is not Mm. necessarily true. Yeah. I guess we talked about that last time with like the view of things improving over time versus kind of time being cyclical. Um, Yeah. That we can still learn things from classical materials. I don't know. I like the school a lot. That's just not the only thing I'm thinking right now. Uh, any other comments on the first pillar? Um, kind of this loss of an idea of man being both, I mean, body and spirit is, I guess, what I, yeah. Just that I don't know how schools, so the reason why schools are always such a, a sort of a touch point in society is it's because it's where some. It's where three of the biggest drivers of, cult, of, of a civilization or of a, of a city, a polis, a, a, a people meet. It's where the family and the state, and religion, and Netflix, (laughs) all come together, right? (laughs) So um, uh, you have, you know, families who want something for their child, you have the state that wants something for their citizens, and then you have religion, which is making statements about telos, about the end, and and what What someone, what you Mm -hmm. should be. And so um, if you have uh, uh, a school that is going to sort of try to be all to all, um, you are going to have this, um, like you said, the lowest common denominator thing. And so there has to be this kind of like low grade um, piece between all of these, these three components, the family, the state, and, and, and ideologies and faiths and religion. Yeah. Um, and I just don't know how long those kinds of how long that peace can last. And, and this is what you see. You see, you see um, these things flare up when there are these controversial things that either the families want the school to do or the state wants the school to do or um, religion wants the school to do. Um, yeah, when I was a kid, that was when, when saying the Lord's Prayer during assemblies was, was, I remember doing it and then I remember it not, and then I remember it being no longer done. Um, and uh, um, I don't know. So, I mean, that's just, I don't know how um, how schools that don't have, that, that just go lowest common denominator are going, uh, will, I don't know, survive, yeah. frankly. Sure. Sure. So, yeah, sorry, go ahead. I was just going to keep going with the Same next pillar. Point. Yeah, next yeah. pillar. Okay. Um, so, I think I'll just... I might just list these next three, and then if there's one, I think there's one that, of those three that you all will want to talk about, but maybe not. So his second pillar that is missing uh, from, I guess, society, from culture that makes classical education either much more difficult or not possible um, is that um, w- follows from this, so from that first pillar, that our modern approach to science and the study of the natural world is decidedly not classical. We study not to understand the natural world in order to shape our lives and societies around the requirements of nature, but in order to manipulate and improve upon nature for our our own comfort and profit. So we're too much of a, the technocracy is Mm -hmm. his argument that we... um, We don't study stuff for the sake of studying stuff. We study stuff so that we can either, so with science... Use it or break it? Yes, that, yes. Um... 
And so it's what we want is what shapes how we use the stuff around us, not understanding stuff so that we can shape ourselves. Is that, mm-hmm. and which ties in with that first one of like, well, I don't need to change myself if I'm just the material person, so I might as well just be comfortable. And so a tool of that is science. And is, yeah, that is a modern consumption. Um, the third is um, the loss of a telos, a loss of like an ideal person. Um, he has a quote. In his physics, Aristotle says the end, and anyway, sorry, the, lo- the loss of a telos. There's no like thing that we're working these students toward. Um, I'm not sure I agree with that one. I just think the telos has changed. Uh, I think I, still, yeah. I think the telos has changed. I think, I mean, the, uh, it would be like self-actualization or some sort of self-determination. You, think, you choose what you want to make you happy. Yeah, vaguely success. And I think mm-hmm. success as it is defined by each individual person, probably. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, which is why a lot of, I think, students or adults feel a big cognitive dissonance or some sort of big letdown post-college because you're sort of passing the telos buck while you while the kids are there why am i doing this in elementary school well because ninth grade is going to be hard and i'm preparing you for that okay why am i doing this in ninth grade well i'm preparing you for junior year when you need to think about colleges why am i doing this in junior year well next in a couple years going to be in college and that's going to be a big deal then you're in college why am i doing this well you need to get a job and you need to make money someday and then you get a job and you make money why am i doing this i don't figure it out right and then then people feel like Ooh, I've been playing this script, and uh, I've been I've been sort of shuffling along this this uh, um, this path that were good, were you know plausible answers when I was young, but the ending is nothing. Right. Right. Or you're not in as successful a job exactly. as you would mm-hmm. want it. Right. You're welding, but you don't have a good welding job. You've got kind of a mediocre welding job, mm-hmm. and either way, it isn't making you happy. Or you did get the good job, and that still isn't making you happy, yeah. and so you're in this weird impasse. Mm-hmm. And then. Um, the fourth pillar, final one, uh, above all, a classical education is about preserving and passing on the culture's norms for individual and, so- and social behavior. Education, paideia, as the ancients understood and practiced it, indeed, as all teachers and schools until the 20th century understood it, was overwhelmingly about transferring the norms of civil- civilization from one generation to the next. There were norms for everything, and he goes through a long list. But we no longer are teaching those norms to our next generation. And so... Um, we're not teaching. So actually, I, I might go through Again, this. I don't yeah. know if I necessarily agree with that. The, I think the norm we do teach is the norm of iconoclasm. Like, so let the me, norm we teach is the norm of question everything, yeah. rip it down, so, uh, rip the system, uh, revolution, uh, um, uh, um, progress. I like, think that combined with, I, I think the more overwhelming one is telos, accept, or, sorry, uh, tolerance, acceptance. Like I think that is probably smashing the paradigms. Teaching, Isn't right? smashing paradigms like a uh, like sort of uh, the, hailed the, as a as a great good of the modern world? Like, look at this person. They came in and they questioned everything, and they defied what everybody thought they were going to be, yeah. and now they started this new movement of them. I don't know for the sake of acceptance and sure. goodness. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So he says almost exactly that. A classical education is unthinkable outside of a normative framework, yet as I've written elsewhere, it's hard to think of a single segment of modern life in which denorming has not become the norm. Art, music, fashion, language, manners, beliefs, what would have been regarded as outside the norm, if not beyond the pale, 50 years ago is now common currency and hardly provokes notice. Um, so, the, yeah, no De- longer... Deconstructing is, yes. the, is, the, is the word of the academics. Yeah. Um, so those are all four of them, um, which then leads us to the end where he says, um, well, I'll say what he says in a second. Are you all, do you, do you all buy these four? Like, 
I th- yeah, I, I, I think so. I think what he's... So this is why I think classical education, Christian classical education can only happen in this um, uh, small localized community of like-minded individuals. I, I don't think we can replicate what Veritas Academy is doing nationwide. Um, um, I, I think, it, yeah, it ha- it is, in many ways, it's kind of like, well... If if you want to go there, it's kind of like Dreher's Benedict option, yes. um, or these these small localized communities, resident aliens. We are people that believe man is different than the predominant culture that we find ourselves in, and we are going to cultivate that vision of what man is, that kingdom of what God, um, of, of God's kingdom in a school, in a community, in a people, in up and against the culture around it. So it is kind of like a, a, a sort of a subversive and, yep. um, and uh, um, um, yeah, alien thing. Sure. So can you read them one more time? The four? All four? Yeah. So the first pillar is that there is both an eternal and present reality of a man. So there's a body and there's a soul. The second is that we study in order to manipulate, not in order to understand. Three is the loss of uh, telos, the loss of a kind of a purpose that we're working toward with each person. And then four, that instead of teaching norms, we're teaching the breaking of norms. They're no longer norms that we can pass on from generation to generation. I am, uh, while I agree that it would be hard to replicate this form of education on any large scale, and I, I agree with most of the things you said, Graham, I am skeptical of any big generalizations like that. Sure. And I think there are obvious breaks in each of those. Uh, the first was, or the last one, the what we teach is a breaking of norms. Well, that's one of the norms that we teach, but we also te- teach a lot of other ones, that you should be productive, that you should study hard, that you should be diligent, that That your life's you greatest fulfillment is your sexual prowess and satisfaction. That is a norm of society today. Mm. Yeah, or that you get to define your own person in almost every degree, right? These are all norms that are being passed on. And so to say that we are passing on only the breaking of norms, that well, if that were true, we would be in complete and utter chaos. Um, we at least have some still semblance of like societal drift, I think. Uh, what was number one again? The loss of belief in the both the present and the eternal part of a person. Uh, but see, that's not true of everyone. I'd say that's true of a good chunk of society, but I, but I think like if you were to look at the census data and find out how many of us believed in a higher power and believed in some sort of spirituality, I think that number is incredibly high, even though what we see on the airwaves is probably not, you know, doesn't, doesn't testify to but that. But there's pe- a great subset of, of like people in the United States who are either Christian or some other uh, type of religion that does believe in an eternal soul or some type of but they would all. But they they would say, "All right." It would not surprise me if they said, "And that and talking about that or thinking about that has no real place in a school. Like a school is not a place to talk about the eternal part." So I remember. So when I was a kid, you know, Christian family went to public school and basically was just kind of like my parents. It was kind of like a hold your nose kind of situation when they're yep. talking about things that we don't believe as a family. You just know that we don't believe this as a family and, and hold your nose while you're doing and it. And so that's a symptom like, of okay. what I said earlier was that. If you are going to function as a public school that has to deal with everyone believing something different, either you have to get rid of all that or find some way to coexist with it. Yeah. And that's what you guys were doing. But then he's saying that— No, be- no, that that statement is that this is the way our society is drifting, I believe. And I'm not sure that that is true of each of those statements, right? There are, there are I think, big caveats. And it's a kind of doom and gloom look about where we are headed as a society, sure. But 
I am always wary of big sweeping statements like that. And I mean, he, he would probably explain it away incredibly well. And I haven't read the entire article, but I mean, his quote, the modern world, on the other hand, places man exclusively in time and rejects the notion of an eternal soul. Not I mean, true. He's making a broad. Yeah, that's a that's a broad generalization that I'm I, I'm not sure census data would bear up. Yeah. I, yes, I think there are quibbles with each one. Would you disagree that, like, I don't know, just from the culture that they're exposed to or the things that they're consuming, like, I don't know, are they consuming things that are about, like, I want to make myself a better person and, like, be- develop my soul, or is it I want to be happy and pleased right now? I think there's a mix. Um, I have a friend who posted today about, what was it, meta meditation, where... It's a three-step process. You send good vibes to your friends. You send good vibes to your enemies. You send good vibes to yourself. Uh, and that was almost based entirely upon spiritual components, mm-hmm. right? So that is mixed with a I'm going to get mine thing on Facebook, but I also see posts about people saying, like, here are some things that are not okay, mm-hmm. and we should do our best to make them better, and then you know people support them. So I think, I think it's a mix, right? Yeah. I don't think that all of the Internet you know, aside from the ads is designed at, I am going to fulfill myself and my sexuality always and only. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not sure that's true. Yeah. Yeah. In a weird way, my, my thoughts on this whole thing ends up really close to what AJ is saying. So like, I think for classical education to be anything other than like a, a history lesson, it has to be paired. And Graham said this earlier, I think it has to be paired with the Christian, uh, aspect as well. And so, AJ, what you basically just said is that like you need a certain worldview to get something out of classical education, and I think that's largely the Christian worldview, and I think that's why classical and Christian have gone together so well, which is kind of weird because the Greeks were pagan, but anyway. Um, so, yeah, I, it's easy to be negative on everything. There is a hope. I do think there's a certain worldview necessary to get something out of a classical education. I think that's the Christian, and that's, um, that's actually how D- David Hicks ends the article. Um, so he says, so are we to teach the young or bring children into this world to throw up our hands in despair? By no means. We who call ourselves Christians are still charged with the responsibility to raise our children in the fear of God and educate them to treat the natural world with utmost respect, to live in pursuit of the ends for which all men and women are created and to order their lives in accordance with biblical norms. But no one should assume this charge lightly, believing that a classical education, whether understood as Greek or Latin or great books, a curriculum or a method, will somehow accomplish this task for us. This might have been the case where the ground and the pillars for classical education in place, but as I hope I've shown in this essay, this is not the case. The pillars are toppled and the ground sown with salt as thoroughly as the Romans destroyed Carthage. This requires us to make a sober estimation of the challenge we face. How are we to meet this challenge in an increasingly invasive, relentless, and hostile environment? There you go. There's a hope. So my one of my big questions is how. what are we to tell to our listeners who do not have kids in school or are not teachers themselves? Like what can our, what can our non-education related listeners take from this? Oh, um, yeah. So sorry, this is a, you'll probably get more out of the first 40 minutes, which is the definition of classical education. Um, maybe the last part was just for people who attend one. Um, yeah. I mean, just in, again, in general. So, so some people who find the podcast are here because they want to explore classical things in, in the study of history, which is awesome. Like, please listen for that. You, you will learn about Homer. You will learn about Dante. Like, stick on. You'll enjoy it. Um, but for some people who are listening, it's they're either a part of Veritas or they um, go to a classical school or they homeschool and want to incorporate classical elements. Um, I, think it, I think it's just these four pillars are important to classical education working. So... 
And I think maybe, like, if you're listening to our podcast, then you clearly want to educate yourself somehow. Right. And so maybe knowing where you stand on what that means for the way you function in the world, just as the way a, a classical educated school has to function in the world, right? If your perspectives are anywhere similar to ours, it means that you are going to meet with opposition just in your everyday life. And so knowing what that means and how to, how to meet that and why you think the way you do is always important, I guess, maybe. Yep. I think there are many practices that can flow out of theory, so I don't want to limit those. Yeah. So I'd actually be curious to hear, I don't know, what anyone has gotten from this. Yeah. By emailing. By emailing us at classicalstuff at veritasacademy.net. Yep. Um, so, yeah, email us and tell us why you listen. <laughs> why do you listen to classical stuff? That would be great. I would love that. Know. That would be really fascinating, I'm, I'm still actually. waiting for someone to just send, I don't. Yeah. <laughs> um, How do they know? And uh, you can find us at classicalstuff.net. Uh, I've said the email address. We have a Twitter page, which is something, some butchering of the word classical stuff, classical stuff. There it is. Um, at twits. Uh, you can quote at us. And it was on Twitter and an email that I was told it is yes. not a Tennessee Yankee in King Arthur's so, Court. It's a Connecticut Yankee in so King Arthur's So this is our, by far our most popular classical stuff we got wrong. Many people have written in and they had a lot and of feelings. There were so many feelings. To tell there were us that people. there are not many Yankees in Tennessee. Hey, come on. <laughs> I, I'm from Washington State. I'm from the Northwest. I have no dog in this fight. I do not know where the Yankees and come I'm from. I'm Canadian. You're all Southerners. Um, <laughs> so, anyway, um, so yes, that was the classical stuff we got wrong. It was a Connecticut Yankee in King Arthur's Court, not a Tennessee Yankee in King Arthur's Court. Um, don't know if those exist. Um, and we thank you for listening. This is AJ Thomas, and I'm Graham signing off. Bye. Signing off in town. Bye. Bye.